Okay, so before I start this teaching, I have to share that I had three confirmations yesterday and today in this topic and in this message. I've never shared this teaching. I've never shared this message before. The entitle is the right hand and the left hand of God. And the reason that I'm sharing this, you, you guys have heard this week after week after week, but when I was in the midst of my healing journey between January and now, between actually November and now, but especially starting in January, God has been stirring in me to share what he's been prompting me, what he's been stirring in me, like Lisa just did now. And one of the things in the scriptures that I have been meditating on for a long time that has just been highlighted are the words, the right hand of God. I had two scriptures in particular, both of which I'll share tonight, along with a bunch of other scriptures, that had just been coming alive in my heart. And they both have to do with the right hand of God. And as I was reading them and meditating on them, I started to think more and more about the right hand of God. So I thought, okay, God, you're stirring this in me, so it must be something you want me to know. So I started to read and go to the Bible and look at what it said, what the Bible said about the right hand of God. And then I thought, well, I made in your image, God, and I have a right hand and a left hand. <laughs> so what about the left hand of God? You know, I ask a lot of questions. I'm a very childlike person, and I just ask a lot of questions, and he always helps me to understand it. So my teaching tonight, I am, I am going to say it's kind of two parts. The first part is 100% scriptural, completely scriptural. The second part, I'm copying from Andrew Womack. The second part is kind of syndiology because I think it's what God's telling me about the left-hand God, the left hand of God, because there's not a lot of scripture about the left hand of God. So I'm just going to share with you what I believe he's sharing with me. But this is how he confirmed it three times. Last night, at the end of the meeting, there's a woman um, who's very strong in her walk with God and hearing from God. Her name's Renee. You know who that is, Renee Hedeman. And, um, and, and she said that just yesterday, she had been um, praying and reading the scripture about the withered hand, the man with the withered hand. And it was his right hand, says in one of the gospels. It's, it's in two Gospels, but one of, in one of the Gospels, it says it was his right hand. And God told that man to stretch out your hand. When he stretched out his hand, he received his healing, and it was his right hand. And she said, I feel like God is saying, you're going to hear a lot about the right hand of God, but as we stretch out our right hand and believe and pray, we're going to do this at the end of the meeting, that there, that we are, um, it, it, there, there is an anointing upon that. You know how a lot of times we'll stretch out our hands to pray or to bless. So that was one of the confirmations. The second confirmation was the same woman texted me this morning, and she said he did it again. She had a devotional. You know how with devotionals every day, it, you never know what you're going to read the next day, and it was all about the same scripture and the right hand of God. So that was the second one. The third one was another woman that was there last night, and she's in the middle of a cancer um, journey, a healing journey from cancer, and she is just falling in love with Jesus. I'm having fun watching her, and she's doing extremely well. But um, she said on the way to the meeting last night, 
she had a vision of the hand of God. She had, and it was just a, a very clear vision of the hand of God. And it was so impactful. She came with her daughter and another woman. They drove together. And she was telling them all about this vision she had about the hand of God. She didn't know what it meant. She didn't have an interpretation. But then she came in, and I was teaching about the right hand and the left hand of God. So for me, that was a confirmation that the Holy Spirit is in this. It's not me. It's not Cindy trying to figure out what to teach you guys. It was the Holy Spirit prompting me and leading me. So I just pray a blessing over this message and the word that I'm giving and over all of our hearts to receive it in Jesus' name. So the right hand and the left hand of God. We're going to talk about his right hand first. This is the part of the teaching that is amazingly scripturally evidenced, and it's good news. And this is a bit of good news. It's a lot of good news that I never even knew about until I started looking at the Bible about the right hand of God. So I'm really excited to share it. So here's the gist of it. In Scripture, we see the right hand of God mentioned a lot, many times. His right hand symbolizes his power, his honor, his authority, his righteousness, his saving grace, his security, and his pleasure. But it's not for him. It's for us. It's his, but it is also for us. It's in us, and it's for us, and it has the potential to work through us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take each of those little nuggets, and I'm going to give you scriptural evidence and just chat about it a little bit. So we're going to talk about the effect of God's right hand upon us. And the first thing I want to talk about is his power. The right hand of God symbolizes the power of God. And that's why I wanted to start with a song about the power of God. That he's still healing today. That he's still saving today. That he's still delivering today. God, The right hand of God symbolizes his power. Exodus 15, verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand shatters the enemy. That's good news. The right hand of God is glorious in power. God is omnipotent. No one else is omnipotent, but God is omnipotent. That means all-powerful. That means no degree of anything that can come against him that he doesn't have the capacity to overcome with his power. All influence, all honor, all authority he carries. He is omnipotent. And with his right hand, he shatters the enemy. He shatters anxiety. He shatters blood pressure that is whacked or hearts that are beating out of order. He shatters nervous system disorders. He shatters cancer. Anything of the enemy's plan or purpose. God is powerful in the right hand of God is certainly powerful enough to shatter any attack of the enemy. This was written in the Song of Moses. It's in the book of Exodus, chapter 15. Chapter 14 is where God parts the, right, the Red Sea so that the Israelites can cross on dry ground with Moses' participation. Moses had to take a step 
Moses had to put his staff in the water. Then the waters parted, and there was dry land. The whole sea parted until there was nothing but dry land. And there were millions of people that crossed on that dry land. And then the army that was following them up, the Egyptian army, the Pharaoh's army, the chariots, the charioteers followed them on the attack. And those waters came back, completely covered them, and not one of them survived. That's where the scripture comes from. The right hand of God is glorious in power, and the right hand of God shatters the enemy. And he will shatter that right hand of God is at our access to shatter the enemy in our life, wherever he's attacking us. But that's not all, because there are three pieces that go hand in hand. The power of God, the honor of God, and the authority of God. So the next scripture that I want to share is from Hebrews. And it comes from the context of Hebrews chapter 1. In verse 5 through 14, um, the author of Hebrews is writing about the truth that the Son, Jesus, is greater than the angels. Because at that time, in the religious world, in some of the sects of religion, they were teaching that the angels were higher. And Hebrews is saying, no, no, no. The angels are lower than the Son of God. In fact, Scripture says the angels are lower than humans, than children of God. The angels are lower than us as well. Christ is in us. The angels are lower than us. That's another teaching. But I want to read you just one verse from this, this um, exposition that's, that teaches us that Jesus is higher than the angels. This is verse 13 of Hebrews. God never said this to any of the angels. Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. He never said that to the angels, but he said it of his son. This was a prophetic word that was first written in Psalm 110, verse 1. And this is the most repeated song, or the most repeated verse from the Old Testament to the New. It's repeated about Jesus over and over and over in the New Testament. And it's repeated because it happened. Because after Jesus paid the price as a sacrificial lamb, he was elevated. He was exalted, and he was exalted to the right hand of God with all honor and all authority over the enemy. I'm going to read you some more scriptures to give you proof of this. Mark 16, verse 19. This scripture took place right after Jesus commissioned the apostles and us, after he commissioned believers to continue to advance the kingdom of God, to continue to heal the sick and, and um, uh, let the Holy Spirit work through us and preach the word to all nations. And then this comes at the very end of that chapter. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. The scripture was fulfilled. Psalm 110, verse 1, was fulfilled at that moment when he ascended to the right hand of God. Another scripture, Luke 22, verse 69. These words were spoken by Jesus before he ascended. 
these words were spoken when he was on trial during his passion. It was either Holy Thursday night or Good Friday during the morning. He spoke these words, and we know that Jesus was um, the Lamb of God, and he was the one during his trial. He was pretty silent. He didn't argue. He didn't debate. He didn't try to prove he, who he was. For the most part, he was silent. This is one of the few things that he did say, and he said this at his trial. Jesus said, but from today on, the Son of Man will be enthroned in the place of honor, power, and authority with Almighty God. That's his position. That has been his position from that day on. And one more scripture, 1 Peter 3.22. This is um, an epistle looking back at the truth of Jesus being exalted. And And it says, it reads, Jesus Christ, who is now in heaven at the place of supreme authority next to God, the very powers of heaven, including every angel and authority, now yield in submission to him. He has authority over the dominion of darkness. He has authority over everything, every power, every authority. Jesus now has a dominion over. This is an integral part of the gospel of Jesus. When we look at what is taught by the apostles, when they went on their missionary trips, this is integral, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father with complete authority and dominion. The enemy no longer has dominion. He's been stripped. He's been defeated. But that's not all. In Ephesians 2, verse 6, listen to this. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one. And we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Where are we? In the spiritual realm, we are co-seated with Christ at the right hand of God with the enemy a footstool under our feet. We are in Christ. Yes, my husband's getting excited. We are in Christ in that position with honor, authority, and power. But if we don't realize it, this scripture is one that, oh my gosh, we need it deep in our heart. We need to meditate on this and realize who we are. This is part of our identity, and it's crucial that we know this and that we, we raise up in that position. When I was in the middle of my journey, my healing journey, I was meditating on Psalm 91, like Lisa, uh, every, on, on a very consistent basis, not every day, but on a very consistent basis. And this is one of the things he spoke to me. So this is my, my meditation of Psalm 91. And this is at the very end of the psalm. And I'm just going to read it to you as I speak it over myself. Feel free to put your own name in here because it's for you too. God says to me, he says, Cindy, because you have set your love upon me, because you know and understand my name, because you have a personal knowledge of my mercy and love and kindness, because you trust me and rely on me, knowing I I will never forsake you, therefore I will deliver you. I will set you on high. You shall call upon me and I will answer you. 
I will be with you in trouble and I will rescue you and honor you. With long life will I satisfy you and show you the fullness of my salvation. One day as I was meditating on this, one line at a time, I came to the line where God spoke to me. He said, Cindy, I will set you on high. And as I was meditating on that, this is what I heard. I heard God, and it's written on my notes, on my, on my meditation paper. He said, Cindy, come, sit at my right hand while I make the enemy your footstool reduced under your power. Amen. And that's for you too, because that's where we're seated, at the right hand of God. So this right hand of God that I've just been meditating on, one of the pieces that we are seated at the right hand of God with authority over the enemy. And no matter what it is, and it might be coming at you, one of the things I've noticed about that scripture where it says, he will make the enemy the foot, uh, your footstool under your feet, under your dominion, it is um, ongoing. It's not like he made the enemy your footstool. It's like no matter what comes at you, that enemy's still there. That enemy is, okay, come on, enemy, right here. That's your position under my feet. It might be a financial issue. It might be a relationship issue. Next week, it might be a kid issue. The week after that, it might be a physical issue. The week after that, it might be something else. It doesn't matter. God says, come up higher. Here is your position in Christ at the right hand of God while I make that situation, that attack of the enemy, come under your feet, under your dominion. But it's up, for up, it's up to us to exercise it. And to say, devil, no, 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 no. You are under my feet. Here's the next characteristic of the right hand of God. God. At God's right hand, in his right hand, is his righteousness. The word that I'm going to show you in scripture is the Hebrew word tzedek. Put it on your notes. It's spelled T-S-E-D-E-Q. And when I looked in the concordance, it means righteousness, justice, deliverance, victory, and prosperity. You're going to want to look back at this later because this is all yours and all mine. So let me show you this in Scripture. Psalm 48, verse 10. As is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. So picture the right hand of God full of righteousness. Well, we know God is righteous. But in the Amplified, it says that that means his rightness or his justice. God is just. He is just. In the next scripture I want to share, this is one of the two scriptures that I told you this message was birthed from. This is one of the scriptures I've been meditating on for about a year. It's Isaiah 41, verse 10 from the Passion Translation. God spoke this to my heart, and this might be for you today. He says, do not yield to fear, for I'm always near. Never turn your gaze from me, for I am your faithful God. I will infuse you with my strength and help you in every situation. I will hold you firmly 
with my victorious right hand. And that word victorious is the same Hebrew word, tzedek. Because that word rightness or, or justness also means victorious. He holds us in his victorious right hand. And everything about that scripture, I needed, I needed strength. I have on my, my, my notes with my declarations, I have written that he, when I was sitting with chemo running into my body, saying, God, you're infusing me with your strength. That's what's coming in this infusion thing right here. It's you, God, coming into my body. You will infuse me with your strength and help me in every situation. And he did. Through that whole journey, he helped me through every single situation. And he said, I will hold you firmly with my victorious right hand. You just watch, Cindy. Watch victory come. Watch it. You just sit back and watch. Amen. It's part of the right hand of God. And it's who we are because he's our daddy. Because we're in Christ. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is another integral part of your identity. For, the, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are righteous. We are tzedek. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And remember, the word tzedek means justice is in the right hand of God. Justice was served through Jesus. Sin was paid for. The penalty of sin was paid for through Jesus. And because of that, we could be righteous. Our sin, the, the penalty was paid so that we could be righteous. We could be sedate. That is at the right hand of God. God's right hand also symbolizes his power to save. The word I'm going to look at in scripture, the Hebrew word is the word yasha. Y-A-S-H-A. -A. And I'm going to show you two or three scriptures with this word in it. And that word is a derivative of another Hebrew word, Yeshua. Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. When Yeshua is found in the New Testament, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, it's usually translated salvation. The word I'm going to show you today is the word save but it has the same derivative, Yasha or Yeshua. And this is what it means. To save, to deliver, to help, to avenge. I like that one. To defend, to rescue, to give victory. So look at how his right hand gives us our salvation. This is another scripture, one of the two that this teaching was birthed from. This is Psalm 138, verse 7 and 8. It's another one of God's words for me. You can have it too if you want it, but it's mine. Psalm 138. Though I walk in the midst of the trouble, God, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. Your right hand will save me. And that word means to save, to deliver, to help, 
to avenge, to defend, to rescue, and to give victory. Your right hand, Lord, will save me. The next verse goes on. It says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. So this is something that I just let my heart be ministered with. God was saying, Cindy, I'm going to perfect everything that concerns you. The doctors talk about, well, my doctors didn't because I didn't let them. But most doctors, cancer doctors, talk about side effects. God protected me. He protected me from the, the word curses spoken over me because the doctors didn't speak it over me. But he also protected my body. He said, I will perfect that which concerns you. I didn't want to lose my hair. I know that sounds really vain. But I didn't want to lose my hair. I didn't lose my hair. He said he will perfect that which concerns me. He said that his right hand will save me, will avenge me. That means that he's fighting the battle for me and he's going to punish the enemy. He's going to avenge me. He's going to give me victory. And then I added in my um, declarations. I added verse 8 from the NLT because this just spoke to my heart. So I did both of these. Verse 8 from the NLT from the New Living Translation says, the Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Like God, your promise in Jeremiah 29, 11 says that you have good plans for me. Plans to prosper, prosper me and not harm me. Plans to bring me a hope and a future. And he had me, promised me right there. He says, yep, watch me work it out, baby girl. Just watch. Just stand back and watch. So I would meditate on these words, and I would get excited. Like, okay, God, how are you going to do it? I can't wait to see what you're going to do. And I'm still expecting more and more and more. Because that's who our God is. Here's another beautiful scripture with the word Yasha in it. Psalm 17:7. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you, who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. I love it. He says, my, in my right hand, here I am, ready to save you, baby girl. But there's a condition, and it's called trusting him. He says, this is for those who trust me. I will rescue them from the ones that are attacking them from the issue of life, from the attack of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy, whatever that might be. He said, oh, you, uh, um, show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, you, God, who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Another powerful word. God's right hand also symbolizes being held up or supported by him. Psalm 63, verse 8. My soul, my life, my very self clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I lived this so beautifully in my, my season of healing because that's what God was doing. He was just taking care of me. He was holding me. He was protecting me. He was He was carrying me through the journey. The first time I had cancer, he gave me a word, a beautiful word from Scripture. It's from Deuteronomy 1. And he said, just watch me. I will carry you the way a father carries a child. His right hand does that. 
his right hand upholds you. When you can't walk on your own, when you're completely helpless, whether it's in your soul or your body or whatever, his right hand upholds you. And the last piece that I want to share with the right hand is that his God, is God's right hand symbolizes his pleasure. His pleasure. Psalm 1611. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love this. I believe it's both ways. I believe that when God is with us, when we're in that position of communion with him, he's filled with pleasure. He's a good father. He loves to be with us. But I also think it's for us. That there's this pleasure in communion with God. One of the things that um, he showed me from the very get-go of my healing journey was, was this whole thing about my house. I talked about our new house a lot, how I was diagnosed on the day that we moved out of our old house, and then I had a season of eight months waiting for the new house to get finished. And I, that's when I went through all of the cancer um, treatment and all of that. And then I moved into our new house healed. And now every day, every day, I literally, I used to speak these words all the time. I'm in heaven on earth. This is heaven on earth, God. I tell them all the time. Yesterday we went outside and we had breakfast on our covered front porch. And, and I, I said, honey, you want to eat outside? And he says, yeah. So I take everything outside and I said, we're going to go eat in heaven on earth. Except we don't have a lawn yet. So right now it's a very muddy heaven on earth. <laughs> We've gotten eight inches of rain in the last week in our, where we live, and it is a complete river of mud and mud lakes all over the place. But that's okay, because I still live in heaven on earth. When I get my lawn, it's going to be even more Garden of Eden than it is now. <laughs> but I'm still heaven on earth. And he showed me that through the whole journey. I remember him telling me early on in my healing journey, um, and I, you know, I could have had, in the world, I could have had fear about building a new house with stage four cancer. You know, I could have, I chose not to. I wouldn't give those thoughts life. And I remember, I, this is another story, I won't go into detail, but I remember even the day after I was diagnosed, God spoke to me about our house. And he basically said, you just watch and see. You know, you just watch and see. This is, you don't need to worry. I'm gonna take care of everything. And I remember when he told me, because. At one point, choosing everything for a house, every color, every brick, every shingle, every everything. You know, there's a lot to pick and a lot of, and I'm not a decorator, but Holy Spirit, I have, right? And I remember one day, I was kind of concerned, are all these colors going to go together, God? And he said to me, it is going to be even more beautiful than you can even imagine. So then I stopped worrying. And every time I would start talking about it, Kent would say, remember what God said? It's going to be even more beautiful than you could imagine. That's his right hand of pleasure for you, for, your, for, your, for his kid. So the right hand, and I bet you there's a whole lot more in Scripture, but that's what I found. That's what he's been stirring in me, that at his right hand is power and honor and authority. At his right hand is righteousness, rightness, and justice. At his right hand is um, saving power, security, 
and pleasure in us and for us. And I know he wants it to work through us. So that's the, the totally scriptural part of this message. And now I'm going to go to the syndiology part of this message, which is the left hand of God. Because there are hardly any scriptures about the left hand of God. I went through the blue letter Bible and put in left hand in quotes so I would get just the things that said left hand. And there, there were different things about the left hand of people, but there wasn't anything about the left hand of God except the scripture that said the goats will be at the left hand and the sheep will be at the right. But I wanted to know, God, what do you have for me in your left hand? And so this is what I would like to share. I believe that there's power in God that is very different than the power I've been talking about, the power that shatters the enemy, the power that is omnipotent. I believe that the left hand of God is almost, the word I found is paradoxical. Paradoxical means almost contradictory. So I'm going to give you a few scriptures to kind of show you what I mean, and then we'll talk about it. So the first scripture is Romans 16.20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Amen. I love that word. I love it. I love it. And I taught on the victory of peace. And that, that peace is not an absence of something, but peace is the presence of a person who dominates over the presence of darkness, right? So, but what I see in the scripture is the Prince of Peace and then this, this omnipotent God that shatters the enemy, that crushes the enemy under our feet. It's as if there's, there's two sides to his power, the peace and the omnipotent destructive power of the enemy. So that's just one little sample. Here's another one. Jesus is both the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah. He is the Lamb, the one who willingly gave up his life without fighting, without debating, without proving at the trial who he was because he knew that it was what was necessary for justice to be served so we could be saved. He was the Lamb of God. He was also the Lion of Judah. Jesus was compassionate to sinners, but hard on the religious people, hard on the Pharisees, hard on the chief priests and the scribes. And yet he was compassionate to the sinners. He called them. He accepted those who were supposed to be excluded. He accepted. He touched the unclean, not being afraid of being unclean. He touched the unclean and they became clean. It, was, it didn't even make sense. It, it was like it didn't fit with what the old covenant law spoke. It was almost, like I said, contradictory. Here's another example. Jesus was silent before his accusers during his mock trial, almost silent. Yet the day before, he was overturning tables in the temple. The left-hand power of God, the right-hand power of God, very different. Listen to the scripture, Matthew 21, verses 12 and 13. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. Picture Jesus, guys, 
precious, compassionate, loving Jesus. If you've seen The Chosen, you've got a picture in your mind of the love and the compassion of Jesus. That same Jesus knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. Why did Jesus do that? He never sinned. So this was not sin. He hated what God hated. He loved what God loved. He still does. He hates what God hates. He loves what God loves. And that's what he's called us to do as well. That's why when we get righteously angry at things like abortion or um, some of the things we see going on in the world right now, it is not sin unless you allow a bitter root to come in towards people or whatever. But the actual stuff that you're angry at is not sin. I call this example prostituting the gospel. And I've seen it. I've experienced it. Um, Kent and I had one experience many years ago, probably eight years ago, where we were invited to a healing conference. And when I go to a healing conference, I get excited because I love to see the Holy Spirit move and the power of God and, and the, 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 the you know, people that are anointed to, to um, lay hands on the sick and see them well. I mean, I love it. I just, I just can't get enough of it, right? And it was a Detroit event, and Kent and I got a, a call from the host of the event, and because they, they were probably calling healing ministries in the state or whatever, and they invited us to come, and they invited us to um, bring our, our, my book and to share my testimony as a little piece of the, the, the conference, and, you know, we were all excited. We went to this conference, and we stayed for maybe an hour. They hadn't yet finished the offering. It was complete prostitution of the gospel. It was all about fame and money. It was all about oh, the way they looked and the money. And it made me literally nauseous to the point where Kent and I got up. We were, they gave us second row seats. It wasn't front row because the prophet sat in the front row. We were in the second row. They gave us second row seats, and we got up and walked out. And he called us out from the altar, pointed at us, and, and was speaking bad about us for getting up and walking. I mean, it was horrendous. And I went to bed that night, and I was just so upset. And in the middle of the night, God said, that was prostitution of my gospel. What Jesus saw here in that temple was prostitution of the gospel. Because it was for money. They were, they were doing this for money. The sacrificial system of the old covenant was, uh, had a purpose and a place. And yet it had become a money-making event. So um, Jesus was very angry. That was the right hand of God. But when he was standing at that mock trial, being silent, it was powerful. It was powerful in a completely different way. And without what Jesus did, we wouldn't be sitting here saved. And with the potential to walk in divine healing, health, and life today. Here's a, uh, here's a scripture that shows, I think, the big picture of this left hand and right hand of God. The paradoxical, um, almost contradictory power of the left hand and the right hand of God. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 through 29. 
Indeed, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those that are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. And as I was reading this and preparing this, the person that came to my mind first was President Trump. So the probably the least likely man to be president, a businessman, no political background, um, was certainly wasn't politically correct one moment of his life. <laughs> That's what we loved about him, right? We still do love. He's still an, uh, a powerful, you know, voice in our country. And his things that he shared were very powerful for us today as well. But that's what God does. He takes what doesn't even make sense to shake things up. That's what he did when he walked on this earth. Didn't even make sense. The way he ministered, the way he taught, the way he spoke, it didn't even make sense. But it was exactly what the world needed. That's how God works. The left hand of God. That hand that just... Um, it, it, it's, it's might be confusing to the world, but God has an amazing way. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. I, I love how he takes the nobodies and makes them somebody. He takes the humble and, and exalts them because of their humility. So, let's see. Here's one more example. And then we're going to go into how, with this, how this applies to us. Luke 9, verses 1 through 4. This is a really good example of the left hand and the right hand of God. Jesus summarized, I'm sorry, Jesus summoned together his 12 apostles. Now, for just a moment, put yourself in the story. Because we are also commissioned, just as his apostles were. He summoned them, and he imparted to them authority over every demon and the power to heal every disease. Then he commissioned them to proclaim God's kingdom and to heal the sick to demonstrate that the kingdom had arrived. Now, first of all, remember who those 12 apostles were. They were the Donald Trumps of the age. They weren't qualified. They weren't religiously trained. They weren't in that, that, that environment of, of, you know, the synagogue and all of that. Nope, they were the tax collectors. They were the fishermen. They were the zealots. But that's who he chose. And what did he do? With his right hand of power, he made them spiritual powerhouses, ready to go out and manifest the kingdom of God with power. That's the right hand of God. But then the very next verse says, and as he sent them out, he gave them these instructions. Take nothing extra on your journey. Just go as you are. Don't carry a staff, a backpack, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Whatever home welcomes you, as a guest, remain there and make it your base of ministry. So even though God sent them out of spiritual powerhouses, he sent them out powerless in the natural. He sent them out completely dependent, completely surrendered to the power of God. It was nothing about them. It was nothing about how much they, money they had or what they could do or, you know, anything. It was only about power of God in them. But in order to do that, the right hand of God, I'm sorry, the left hand of God 
The one that says humility is powerful. Surrender is what will help you to be that powerhouse spiritual person. And so he was, Jesus was showing both the importance of both. And he gave a perfect example in his, in his own life. This scripture, every time I read it, I'm just overwhelmed. Philippians 2, verse 6 through 8. Jesus had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. He was the son of God, but he didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, selfless, obedient life, and then he died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Selflessness, obedience, surrender, humility. Those are all integral parts of the power of God working in us in a different way than the, than the right-hand power of God. So I'm going to close with this. What does that mean for you and me? Well, a couple of nuggets. The first one is that when you are in that place of powerlessness, when you are in that place of a massive trial in your life, God can use that. He doesn't give it. He doesn't give bad stuff. But boy, can he use it. Because when we're in the place of powerlessness, that's one of the best places for him to have all the power over you because you have none on your own. You have no ability. You have no control. And that's when everything that he has can be manifested in your life. Let me read this scripture. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul wrote this. And I second it. I second Paul's words completely. But he answered, and, and this is what God said, my grace is always more than enough for you. And my power finds its full expression. It is perfected through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weakness. For when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. So whenever you're in a trial or a tribulation, there's the opportunity for the to sense, I love that word, to sense more deeply the mighty power of God in your life. I bet Kelly and Nathan, you are just overwhelmed with awe of God in your life. You're in the midst of a trial, but God has all the, it's all him, right? It's only him. And because of him, he can carry you up and out and give you that, that knowing of how great he is and what he has planned for you. That's what he did for me in my healing journey. It was months of the most intimate time with God I've ever had in my life. And what was he doing? He was showing me all about him because I was completely out of the picture. It was all him, none of me, all of him. Because sometimes we can get really good at doing things or, or being the, you know, the Christian that we know we want to be as far as reading the word and 
you know, whatever, what that looks like, praise and worship. But when you're in that place of completely humi- completely being humbled and completely surrendered, that's when God can show you even more of his grace. And we can be that spigot, ready to receive and give, ready for it to come in and flow with freedom, without any barriers. And here's the last scripture. All of that right hand and left hand power of God, it's not about you. It's about God in you. It's about God for you and God through you. It's not about you because we get out of the way and then it can be all him. Listen to this last scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within so that this immeasurable power will be seen as God's and not ours. Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. At times we don't know what to do, but giving up is not an option. That's for you, Glenn. We are prosecuted for, persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, but not out. We continually share in the death of Jesus in our own bodies so that the resurrection life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. It's all about him. And no matter what you're walking in, with the left hand power of God, we have the potential to overcome. You might get, you know, the right hand fist of the enemy and you just give him a left jab because of the left hand power of God. You're letting God be God in your life. So the last statement I have on your sheet is the power to change lives, to deliver the demonized, to heal the sick and declare the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That's all right hand of God, omnipotent power. That power most often comes hidden in fragileness, humility, and dependency. That's the left hand of God. And I want to show you two snapshots that that God does this a lot to me. I see God in, in people. I see God in places. I see God in things. And this last week I saw it in my son and my daughter-in-law with baby Serafina. I have a new granddaughter. She's four and a half pounds. Little teeny tiny precious thing. She was born a month early, but she's super, super healthy and doing really well. And God showed me a picture of his right hand and his left hand through my through watching these kids. So go ahead and put the first picture up, honey. So my son is a musician, <laughs> long hair, you know, band t-shirts, he's got a music studio. But I see the agape love in my son, the demonstrated love. And this is what where I saw the right hand and the left hand of God. I wish I could sh- put a live iPhoto up here. You know how when you take a picture with your phone, it's live, and when you touch it, it's a little mini video? That's what I wanted to show you, and that's what it is on my phone, but when we put it on the PowerPoint, it's a still photo. So I have to tell you what's going on. What my son is, and I'm not going to worry about which hand is holding. My son's left-handed. But um, both of them, what I noticed is one hand holds their baby. One hand, that baby needs supported because that baby is so teeny tiny and, you, you know, her head certainly going to hold up itself because she's just such a teeny little peanut. So my son holds her, supports her, but his other hand always is caressing her. 
it's like they just, I don't think they realize what they're doing. One hand is supporting the baby. The other hand is either touching them, caressing their hair, just moving, touching them. I see that as the loving left hand and right hand of God. The right hand that upholds us, that strengthens us, that gives us the support we need. And the, the, the left hand that is the, the hand that when we're humble, when we're helpless, it just loves us and cares for every detail. And the same thing in my daughter-in-law. The next picture is, my, is his wife, Adam's wife, Marianne. Same thing here. She's got that little girl just securely held up against her body. That baby's not going anywhere. But then her right hand is just, in the live video, is just rubbing her little head, rubbing her little hair. That is a beautiful picture of God. Uh, you know, if they would only realize it, they will one of these days. They are just showing the, the agape love of God to that little girl and his amazing power, his right hand and his left hand of power. So I just close this, God, with surrendering once again to you. Yes, God, we want to see a mighty move of God here tonight. Yes, the right hand of God. Yes. But we humble ourselves. We surrender. I surrender. I humble myself. Because I don't want it to be anything about me, God. Only you. I am nothing, nothing without you. But with you in me and with my dominion and power over the works of darkness that you have given to me, that you commissioned me with, as well as every child of God here, we have the potential to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to advance the kingdom of God, and to do everything, Jesus, that you did, and even more. That's what you said when you walked on this earth. So, God, we come to you in a position of surrender and trust and believing, believing in you, believing in your word and your work. And we say, have your way, God. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Yay, God. Yay, God.